0: I just want to welcome everybody uh, here in this room, as well as those listening or watching in another environment somewhere, I just want to welcome you to Grand Opening Weekend, man. This is our first weekend after nine years, 460 Sundays, baby, we're in, and I love that. You know, it's crazy because this is our first weekend, and there's nothing like first, is there? There's something special about the first, there's something special about the first date, the first kiss. The first date with your new girlfriend. There's something special, isn't there? There's something special about your first car. I remember my wife's first car. We were dating. We were teenagers. It's a, it was a 1984-85 white Ford Tempo. No, no, don't. It, the only reason it stopped being her first car is because it caught on fire. At an intersection. And so she's sitting at this intersection. Car, the hood is on fire. So she pulled into a gas station. Okay. New rule. Anytime your car's on fire, don't go to a gas station. There's, there's nothing like the first, is there? There's, there's nothing like your first apartment or your first home, your first baby. The first time you saw the movie Titanic. Right? I mean, come on. Our lives were changed, weren't they? By that movie, we went back 13 different times. Your, the first game. Every year for the last few years, uh, my wife and I, those of you who know me, know I'm a huge baseball fan. And particularly the Tampa Bay Rays. Love, love the Rays. Big Rays fan. And so for the last couple of years, we've taken our boys up to Tropicana Field uh, for opening night. And we love spring training. You can get up close to the players in a smaller venue, but there's nothing like first. And so for the last couple of years, we've, been, uh, we've taken our kids up to St. Pete to, tro- to the Trop. Uh, to be there for the first game of the season and any of you who follow my twitter feed or my facebook feed you know that like this spring my glove has been magnetic that i've caught eight baseballs between batting practice foul balls whatever i've got eight baseballs uh, already and the season hasn't even really started yet so opening night true story uh, we're sitting in the upper deck, there's six of us, Sarah and I and our two boys, and then Kyle and Jennifer Jackson, who are part of the team here, were with us as well. So we load up the minivan, go up there, we're in the, the third deck, the uh, upper deck of the stadium, four rows up, right behind home plate. And uh, so we have six seats, and I'm sitting right in the aisle. And no lie, uh, I have my glove on, because, listen, I'm not going to a wedding reception, I'm going to a baseball game. And every eight-year-old wears their glove at a baseball game. That's what we do. That's how we roll. So every pitch, I got my glove on, and I tell all of the people sitting around me when they see that I'm the only middle-aged guy with a glove on, it's okay, I have cat-like reflexes. You're protected here. You're safe. So I'm, I'm sitting there, you know, on the aisle, and Kyle and my oldest, Will, went out to get ice cream. And so it's the sixth inning, top of the sixth, the Orioles are up. And no lie, I turn to to Jennifer and my wife Sarah, and I say, here comes a foul ball. No lie. You lie, you fry. I'm telling you. I'm telling the truth. I'm telling the truth. I'm not exaggerating at all. Even though I'm prone to that, I'm not this time. I promise. So I'm sitting on the aisle. I turn to Jen and Sarah, and I say, here comes a foul ball. The next pitch, because God is just that good. The next pitch, Luke Scott for the Orioles, crack. It comes up. No lie. I stand up. Take two steps into the aisle, boom, gloved it, on the fly, on the fly. I'm your pastor, and I'll be here for a long, long time. You can count on me. There's nothing like your first foul ball. I've caught other foul balls, or I haven't caught them, but I've, I've never caught one on the fly. And I'm telling you, it was, a, those of you who know baseball, it was a sinking liner. It was coming in, and I'm like, it's dropping, it, it's dropping, it. and I'm like... Pff, pff, on the steps for crying out loud are you kidding me it was a great catch and i'm like and it didn't get in the web it like hit me in the palm so i like had pain the whole section's like woo! kyle comes back like two minutes later i'm like dude i got a ball and he goes bro it's april 1st he goes oh that's a great april fool's joke didn't believe it. the whole section behind me was like no he really caught it it was amazing he really caught that's the only way kyle was convinced that i really caught the ball there's nothing like the first is there Your first car, your first home, your first foul ball. There's nothing like the first. Well, guys, a couple months ago as I really began to seek the Lord and say, God, what do you want to say to us as a church on our first weekend in our first permanent location? What do you want to say? So I started to to do some, some study and realized that the word first is mentioned in Scripture dozens and dozens of times. And so today during this grand opening weekend, I want to talk about the firsts of the Bible. I want to talk to us about four firsts in the Bible. If you have your bulletin, I would love for you to follow along there on the inside left, uh, left side. You can fill in the blanks. You can take some notes, follow my train of thought. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 6. That's where we're going to start. We're going to bounce around a little bit today, but I want us to look at four firsts in the Bible. Because I believe these four firsts that we see in Jesus' ministry have everything to do with the foundation of of this next season, this next chapter that God has called us into as a church. So the first one is found in Matthew chapter six, and if you don't have your Bible, that's okay. The verses will be on the screens behind me. You'll be able to follow along uh, there just fine. Let me kind of set the stage. In Matthew chapter six is a part of Matthew five, six, and seven, which is which contains what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And for those of us who are familiar with Bible study, we know that the Sermon on the Mount was. Uh, was, uh, is one of the greatest uh, consolidated collections of Jesus' teachings throughout the entire scripture. And so right smack dab in the middle of this Sermon on the Mount where Jesus climbs this mountain and several thousand, theologians tell us, between five and 15,000 people climb the mountain with him to sit and listen to Jesus teach all day. And right in the middle of this, this teaching, Jesus starts to talk to his listeners that day about, about worry. He starts to talk to them about the distractions that are possible for us as human beings. And so he, he's basically encouraging his listeners, saying, listen, there are a million things that you can be distracted with in life. There's, there's a million and one things going on for you to worry about. But then he gets to verse 33. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus gives us our first first. Let's read it together. It says this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, But seek first his kingdom or the kingdom of God and his righteousness or his right way of living life. And then all these things, all this other stuff that you're distracted with, all this other stuff that you're worried about, all these things will be given to you as well. If you want to write down some notes, here's the first first for us in our grand opening weekend, and it's this. Number one, seek first. Number one, seek first. You know, it's crazy to think that in 2,000-some years since Jesus did this original teaching, not much in life has changed, has it? That we could go around this room today and, and talk about our to-do list, talk about the pace and the speed of life. The reality is, for all of us listening today, the pace and speed of life is absolutely crazy, isn't it? The the temptation of the to-do list, the temptation of the urgent can feel overwhelming at times. So much so that I think it's possible that there are many of us who are listening today who we recognize that the, the, the tyranny of the urgent often pushes out the priority of his I think that's why Jesus said to his listeners that day during the Sermon on the Mount, in the midst of all of the distractions, in the midst of all of the chaos, never forget that the primary priority of your life is to seek first God, his kingdom, his righteousness, his presence. That's where the good starts. Can I just tell you that as we begin a new chapter in the life of Next Level Church today, this weekend, that for nine years now, and for the next 99 years plus, the number one priority of Next Level Church is going to be seeking first the kingdom of God. That's going to be the priority. For the last several months, as we knew this transition was coming, Guys, my prayer, my primary prayer has been, Lord, let your presence be preeminent in this place. Because here's what we know. We know that we can have the coolest building in all of Southwest Florida. Cry out loud, we can have the coolest building in America, and I think it's a pretty cool building. And we can have all of the lights and the things that make it say NLC on the wall and the TVs and the coffee and the thing and the dotted carpets for ADD kids. You can have all of that. But if we don't have the presence of God here, we got nothing. Just buildings don't change lives. Polka dots don't change lives. Cool stuff on the walls doesn't change lives. Only the presence of God will change lives. And so Next Level Church, let me just go on record. This grand opening weekend is saying we are going to prioritize seeking first the kingdom of God, the presence of God in this place. Because it is the presence of God alone has the power to transform marriages. It has the power to transform husbands or wives or coworkers or friends or classmates. It is the presence of God that has the power to transform our teenagers, our elementary age, the next generation. It is the presence of God that we need to be preeminent in this place. We must seek first. In the next chapter, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus continues on with the Sermon on the Mount. And in, in Matthew chapter seven, we find the second first that we're going to talk about today. And it's interesting because in this, in this as Jesus is teaching along, uh, he introduces a, a really, really interesting metaphor. And I want us to see it together. Here's what it says. Matthew chapter seven verse three says this: "Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, and yet pay no attention to the plank in your own eye?" Verse four. How can you say to your brother, "Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank?" In your own eye. Verse 5, here's where the first comes in. Jesus says, you hypocrite, or you actors, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. If you're taking notes, number two, the second first of our grand opening weekend is this. First, take. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Listen. For nine years now, Next Level Church has existed to be a place where people can do two things. Number one, feel comfortable to be authentic enough to be honest about the planks that we all have in our lives. The reality that we are not perfect. And secondly, we have desire to create a place where we can help one another and help those who come into this place identify the specks of sawdust that are keeping them from seeing life clear. That's the heart of Next Level Church. That's who we have desired to be for nine years. A place where we can first take the plank out of our own eye. Maybe you're here listening today, and you've bought into the the myth that Jesus wants us to be perfect. See, contrary to popular belief, the Bible doesn't say that Jesus wants us to be perfect. And in fact, even greater, Jesus doesn't want us to pretend that we are. But here's the problem. We get so caught up with this, especially in in religious circles and guys that do what I do. We get so caught up in this. The the illusion of it in the heart of Next Level Church for nine years has been that we would be able to create a place where people could feel comfortable coming in with their planks, with their sawdust, with with the planks in their eyes. Because let's be honest, we all got them. We want, we've always longed to create a place where we could come in and just say, you know what, I don't got it all together. I'm pretty messed up. I need God's help. See, listen, Jesus doesn't want us to be perfect. Jesus simply wants us to acknowledge that we're not. To acknowledge that we don't have it all together because then and only then can we recognize our need for a Savior. If you and I could do it on our own, then we wouldn't need Jesus. And his death on the cross would have been in vain. That's what the heart of Next Level Church is to create a place where you and I can come in and be honest about the planks in our eyes, be honest about the fact that we're all messed up in some way, shape, or form. And then you and I can help others identify some of those specks of sawdust in their eyes and start to see through the lens of the Bible how to navigate life more clearly. This kind of takes us into the third first. And for the third, first we have to leave the Gospel of Matthew and we jump almost to the back of the Bible. To to there are three books: first and second and third John. First John, second John, third John, and they're written by, imagine this, a guy named the Apostle John. In uh, creative titling, isn't it amazing? Uh, but I guess when you write your Bible, you can title the books in it whatever you want. In the meantime, we got first John. So first John is actually a letter that the Apostle John is writing to a group of believers like us, a community of believers. And the, the whole basis of the book of First John is written to do two things. Number one, to really unpack in, in immense detail the depths of the love of God. But then secondly, to help us understand the motivation behind everything that we as Christians should be doing or are to do. And so in First John chapter 4, verse 9, we find the third first that we're talking about this grand opening weekend and where, where John kind of sums the whole idea up in one verse. Let's look at it together. 1 John chapter 4 verse 9 says this. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. In other words, we as Christians are called to love the world around us, to love our neighbors, to love our enemies, to love our community, to love our co-workers, to love our bosses, to love the tax man. Come on, somebody. To love them. That's what we're called to be. Unfortunately, in our culture, if there's one thing that Christians are supposed to be known by, according to Scripture, it's our love. But unfortunately, over the last several decades, we as a body of Christ have been known more for what we're against than unfortunately what we're for. And I think think we paint the wrong picture for our community so often when we do that. We're called... As a church, we're called as followers of Jesus to love first, love. That's why we're doing Feeding Fort Myers. Can I tell you, can I just be honest with you? When we recognized a few months ago that Feeding Fort Myers and the launch of of this um, facility were going to basically coincide right around the Easter season, we met as a leadership team and we said, listen, should we cancel Feeding Fort Myers this year? I mean, it's not like we don't have a lot going on. I mean, okay, there's a lot going on. Should we postpone it? Should we cancel it? Because we've done it for several years. And you know what? After we talked about it, after we prayed about it, here's, here's the conclusion we came to. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Beating Fort Myers is one of the easiest. Are you kidding me? Simply throw a party and I get credit, like, for God points? Sweet. Okay, listen. The Enivor Myers is one of the, 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 most, the easiest and most tangible ways for us as a church to demonstrate to our coworkers, to our neighbors, to our classmates, in our neighborhoods, to communicate to the world around us that we love those who are lost, those who are hurting, those who are hungry in our city. And so when we looked at it and we said, even though it coincides, even though it's going to be nutty like the professor, that's okay. You know why? We must do Feeding Fort Myers on Palm Sunday weekend. We must. Because, and listen, can I be honest with you? It is absolutely, positively on purpose. Come on, amen me down there. Amen me. All right. Listen, it is is absolutely on purpose that we wanted to go on record to say to our city, to say to the region of Southwest Florida, the very first event that we did as a church when we moved into our first permanent location was not about us. It was about the hungry and the hurting in our city. That's why we're doing Feeding Fort Myers. So if you don't have a party packet, listen, go and get one at the information desk today. before you. Listen, it's like an idiot's guide to party, as if many of you needed a guide on how to party. We can give you 50 bucks. Listen, it's, it's, it's everything you need. And the reason why we're doing it, the reason why the whole culmination is next weekend is because we want the city to know that we as a church are motivated first by love. Because Jesus loved us because he cared so much that He would come to this earth for 33 years, live a perfect sinless life, and die on the cross as payment for your and my sin. And his love is the very thing that compels everything we do and everything we are as a church. And Finally, the fourth verse is found back in the Gospels in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 9. And in Mark chapter 9, we find this really kind of funny story, in my opinion. When I read scripture, I kind of read it with a sarcastic bent. I believe that sarcasm is a spiritual gift. Uh, I can't find any scripture to back that up. But every once in a while, you know, like you see Jesus interacting with his disciples and you're just like, I bet you he was just like had a little sarcastic edge to him like, like that. That's how at least that's how beat according to my faith. So anyway, so in, in Mark chapter nine, we find this interesting uh, deal, the story where Jesus and his disciples are in the prime of his ministry. I mean, things are going great and, and they're traveling from one city to the next. And while they're traveling, for whatever reason, we don't know why, Jesus and then the disciples got separated. And so either Jesus had went on ahead or Jesus lagged behind or whatever. Either any way you slice it, Jesus and the disciples got separated. Well, as they're walking from one city to the next city with all these crowds and masses and just, just this amazing thing that they're doing, the disciples start talking about who's going to be the greatest. They start talking amongst themselves and imagining going, man, When Jesus establishes himself and establishes his kingdom, when when this whole deal goes down and Jesus just takes over as ruler, that's going to be awesome. And they start talking about, I'm going to be the greatest, and I'm going to be this, and I'm going to be that. When Oprah calls, I want that interview. And they're just talking about it. Well, when Larry King calls, I want that interview. And someone's like, dude, you know Larry King retired. Well, when that British guy calls, I want the interview somebody else they're fighting over it you know when fox news calls you know i'm the conservative one of the bunch i'll go on fox so they're they're just arguing about who's gonna be the greatest so when they get to capernaum the city where they're going next jesus calls them out on it i love this look mark chapter 9 verse 33 here's what it says they came to capernaum and when he was in the house he asked them what were you guys arguing about on the road (laughs) look verse 34 but they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest, they were, every parent in the room knows exactly what's happening here. They were busted. You've walked in and you're like, kids, come here, sit down. Which one of you? And they're all like, right? You know, it's like, that's what's going on. Jesus was flat out busting them. And then in verse 35, he breaks it down. It's sitting down, it says, Jesus called the 12 and said, if anyone wants to be He must be very last servant. If anyone wants to be the greatest, if anybody wants to be first, the way you become the greatest. fourth and final first that I would give us today on this grand opening weekend is this. Number four, first. First. Jesus wanted his disciples and I believe he wanted us to know that the way to the most significant life possible is not by trying to become the greatest just the opposite. It's about us leveraging our life and our influence, all that we've been given, all that we've been entrusted with, not for ourselves, but for others. That's the message of Christ. Not that we would arrange the world so it serves us, but so that we would serve the world around us. Let's be honest, this runs completely cross-grain, doesn't it? To everything the world says about how to be great. The world says, listen, when you climb to the top of your corporate ladder, when you live in the most expensive neighborhood in town and live in the biggest house, and you drive the most fancy car with the wheels that spin even when you're not moving. When you when you do it, when you know the right people, when you're working the network, you know, when life completely revolves around you, that's when you know you're the greatest. And Jesus takes all of that and he flips it 180 on its head. And he says, no, listen, the way you become great is by pouring your life out for others. That's when you'll have the greatest satisfaction. That's when you'll have the greatest joy. That's when your life will be filled with the greatest passion. When we serve not ourselves, but others. And Next Level Church, can I just tell you on this, our grand opening weekend, that in this church, the vision is not about building buildings. Listen, I love this place. I think it's as cool as anything. I think it's award-winning. I think it's wonderful. But the vision is not about buildings. The vision has always been about creating places where we can build people, where we can serve others. That's the vision of Next Level Church. That's why we exist as a church. For nine years it has been, it is, and for the next 99 years and beyond, it will be the vision of our church. That's why I'm so excited about our Be Orange stuff that we're doing, which is our community outreach. For those of you who are new to the next level, it's beorange.me is the website. And several years ago, God began to just lay on our hearts as a leadership team that we have been given much. And the Bible says that to whom much is given, much is required. And so... Several years ago, we adopted, when the economy crashed, two of the hardest-hit neighborhoods, projects, in all of of Southwest Florida. Palmetto Courts and Sable Palms, down off of Martin Luther King Boulevard, downtown Fort Myers. Two neighborhoods where the crime rate is through the roof. Two neighborhoods where domestic violence is at an all-time high. Where teen pregnancy is skyrocketing. Where, where moms being pregnant out of wedlock is going crazy. Where education dropping out is going crazy. And a few years ago, God burdened our heart for these two communities downtown. And we made a decision that we were going to adopt Palmetto Courts and Sable Palms. And we ain't leaving. We're going to adopt them. And we're going to go where the darkness is darkest. And we're going to invade with the love and the light of Jesus. And every month on Third Saturday, we go down and we serve in our community. And we have a comprehensive strategy on how we're going to lift the residents of our communities because we believe that's what the vision of Jesus is. That's the vision of Next Level Church, to find the poor and the hurting and the broken and the forgotten of our city and make sure they are forgotten no more. That's the vision in the heart of Next Level Church. I love what we're doing this. You want to hear the next couple months, here's what we're doing. Third Saturday, Serve Day falls on Easter weekend this year. And so we're hosting a community-wide for both of our communities downtown Easter egg hunt for all of the kids. And on the Saturday of Easter weekend, we're going to bring all of the kids together and we're going to do a community-wide Easter egg hunt and we're going to have candy and sugar. I'll be there. We're going to gather all those kids together and we're going to tell them that they're not forgotten and we're going to tell them that they're loved and we're going to hug on them. We're going to rub their heads. We're going to high-five them. We're going to share the love of Jesus with them and serve them with the love of Jesus. But then we're not just going to give them candy and Easter eggs, but we're going to sit them down after the Easter egg hunt, and we're going to explain to them that Easter is not about Easter eggs or candy. It's not about the Easter bunny. It's about a man named Jesus who lived on this earth 2,000 years ago, and he lived a perfect, sinless life, and he died on the cross so that you and I could know his love. In May, third Saturday, we're going to hook it into Mother's Day, And we're going to go down and we're going to give all of the moms in the community a spa day. And just pamper them and love them and pour into them and let them know you are a prized possession. Because we think that offers dignity. We think that offers honor to them. We think that shows them that they are not forgotten. That there is a God who loves them. That there's a group of people who love them and are willing to invest in them and pour our lives out and serve them. That is the vision of Next Level Church to first serve. That's our heart. That's what this church is going to be about for as long as I'm here. That's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to serve like Jesus said. We should serve. We're going to be motivated by love like Jesus said we should. We're going to create spaces where we can take the planks out of our own eye and help people who come in with specks of sawdust in theirs. That's what This, there's nothing like the first. There's nothing like the first date, the first kiss, the first car, the first child, the first foul ball. No, really, it was that good. There's nothing like the first. So before Pastor Scott comes back and we move forward in our time together today, can I ask you a question? Who's first in your life? Who's first in, in, in our life? Is it us? In, in a sober moment, would we answer the question, you know, Matt, when when I think about it, the reality is I I am first in my life. I do what I want to do, and I, I work day in and day out, and I do all of that because I my happiness, my security, my satisfaction is 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 priority. It's first. For some of us, maybe it's our spouse. And we go, you know, I, I, I live for that person. I live for him. I live for her. For some of us, it's our kids, parents. We, we know. My world revolves around my kids. And listen, there's nothing wrong with, with any of those things. But here's what we discover when we study the Bible. We discover that the Bible tells us that if we want to experience greatness, if we, if we want to become everything God wants us to become, if we want to live the best possible life that God wants to give us and that he has for us, The way we do that is by allowing God to be first in our life. And we can do that. We can do that today. The Bible says that it's very simple, that the way we do that is to acknowledge, first of all, that something other than God has been first place in our life. The Bible says that when we go our own way and we pursue our own Things when we do wrong, that that's it's that's the Bible calls it sin, and the Bible makes it clear that it is sin within us that separates us from God. It creates this distance, and so the first step uh, to us placing making God first in our life is by saying, "God, I acknowledge that there's sin in my life, and I just I, I acknowledge that." But then secondly, that we would believe that what Jesus did on the cross, His death on the cross was payment for that sin. Because see, our sin really is if you and I had to pay the price for that, then we'd be separated from God eternally. That's why Jesus came. For imperfect, plank-eyed people like us. That our sin could be forgiven and that our relationship with God could be brought near, that He could be first place in our life. And the Bible says that if you and I will simply confess that, believe that that Jesus paid the price for us, and then simply confess it, the Bible says that He'll come into our life and begin to transform us from the inside out. So here's what I want to do. Before Pastor Scott comes back, I I want to just take a moment. And in the stillness of this moment, I'm going to ask us all to just bow our heads, just real quick, nobody talking, nobody moving around, nobody looking around. This is just between you, me, and God. If you're here today, and, man, that's you. you. You know that God is not first place in your life, but you want him to be. You want to say, Matt, that's me. Yes, include me. I'm going to pray for you. And let me just tell you, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to make you come down front or do anything spooky, kooky, or weird. We're just not going to do that. But if that's you, I'm going to ask you to simply confess it with, with a simple act. I'm simply just lifting your hands. So I'm going to count to three. And when I hit three, if that's you, if you need God to be number one, first place in your life, would you just slip your hand up today? Let, let's do this. One, two, three. Awesome. Wow. Across this room. Fantastic. 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 Others of you, once you put it up, you can put it back down. Other, others of you, you'll just you just slip your hand and say, Matt, that's me, man. Include me in. I need God to be first place. I need God to be number one in my life. Others of you, just awesome. Thanks. Great. Fantastic. Others of you, front to back. It's all over the place. Dozens of hands. Left to right. God's touching hearts. Anybody else, Just get, we'll just pause in this moment. And give you an opportunity to say, Matt, that's me, man. Just include me in. Well, Lord... On behalf of so many here in this room today who have lifted their hand as an outward expression, an external confession, if you will, of an inward thing that you're doing in them. Father, I just pray on behalf of every one of them. And I pray, God, that you would become first place in our life. Lord, we acknowledge that us trying to figure it all out, we acknowledge that us trying to make it all happen hasn't worked. It's just led us into cul-de-sacs and dead ends. Lord, we need you to lead. We want you to lead today. So, Father, I just pray that you would be first place, that you would forgive us of our sin. Jesus, thank you for your death on the cross, that we could be forgiven. Thank you for paying the price that we could be adopted into your family today. Father, we just thank you that you are beginning a good work in us, that this is a relationship between us and you. It's going to carry us through our entire life and into eternity. So, Father, thank you for the beginning process of transforming lives today. We make you first place. In Jesus' name. And all across this room, everyone who prayed, say, Amen. Pastor Scott.